From the Ryerson Review of Journalism, this is Poll Quotes. I'm Laura Howells. Once upon a time, news organizations had dedicated religion beat reporters, maybe even entire religion sections. But these days, that almost sounds laughable. There's been a major decline in religion reporting over the last few decades, while at the same time, Canada's religious reality has become more diverse than ever. Our own Jacob McNair has spent the last few months looking at religion reporting in Canada. He's been working on a feature on that topic, which is going to be coming out pretty soon in the Ryerson Review of Journalism magazine. Hey, Jake. Hi, Laura. So why? What got you interested in that topic? Well, I've always been interested in religious journalism in general and the way you can explain people of different worldviews to each other. But what got me interested in this specific kind of story is that after the last presidential election in the U.S., NPR interviewed Dean Bacay, who is the executive editor for the New York Times. And he made this statement that, in general, what he called the New York and Washington-based media powerhouses don't really get religion, don't get the role it plays in people's lives. And so it got me wondering, first, that sounds a lot like it applies to Canada, but what does religion reporting actually look like on our side of the border? And second, in the modern age, what does it mean for a news story to get religion? What does that look like? So yeah, what is the state of religious reporting in Canada right now? How much of it is actually happening? Well, it's pretty sparse. Um, In terms of what you might think is a more traditional style newspaper religion beat reporter, I talked to one of the last remaining ones, Douglas Todd, who's been writing for the Vancouver Sun since the 1980s, and even he has uh, taken on other... He's more of a columnist or, or a religion writer, you might say, but even though when he started it was, I'm taking on the religion beat, now it's had it's become a lot broader just because you can't... The, the newspaper doesn't want to have someone working that beat full-time. In his case, it's become more the immigration or diversity beat, and that was just kind of an organic transition for him because so many of the growing religious communities he was covering were new Canadians. Like um, He was covering Sikh temples, he was covering Chinese Canadian evangelical churches and things like that. What does it even mean to cover religion? Like, what would a religion beat reporter even be reporting on? Well, that's something that's kind of changed over time, and that helped answer for me the question of why you don't see as much religion reporting now. Um, In the past, up to the late 20th century, um, a religion beat reporter was someone who reported on religious institutions and what they were doing as institutions. Um, In smaller towns, this often meant actually reporting on the Sunday sermons in churches. Um, And on the bigger scale, for example, at the beginning of the 1970s, the Globe and Mail ran a whole series of articles. I know at least one made the front page about how, at the time, the Anglican and United Churches were in serious talks to maybe merge and become one church. So you see, it's like, what are these institutions doing? And the people who represent them, what are they doing? Um, And then as church attendance and synagogue attendance and things like that declined, it became less institutional, and by that institutional model, the beat kind of seems to disappear, and it becomes easy to cut when you need to make newsroom cuts. But 
those people who weren't going to church or to synagogue or something like that, a lot of them, what we've discovered, aren't just not looking for answers to those same kinds of questions that the religious institutions answered. They're finding their answers in other ways, sometimes in ways of what you what you call being spiritual but not religious, and sometimes it's almost it, it's more maybe even purely philosophical, just ways ways to answer those questions that are very personal and very individualized. And on the other hand, um, of course, Canada has become a much more religiously diverse place. So it's not just about Christianity and Judaism as much anymore. It's about um, Hinduism and Sikhism and all these other religions that didn't have as much of a presence here until relatively recent decades. And of course, on the other hand, you also have indigenous spiritual traditions, which were ignored or stomped out. And so it's two different phenomena that have happened since that we're missing out on, because our religion reporting didn't shift from being, what are these institutions doing, to what's going on in these people's personal spiritual lives and what's going on in the spiritual lives of these growing communities of Canadians from other backgrounds. Yeah, so it seems like in the past the traditional religion beat had a very Christian or or maybe Judeo-Christian focus. I think that would be pretty accurate to say. I think one thing that's gone hand in hand with this sort of institutional focus of religion reporting is the question of which groups register as religious institutions, as communities that can be reported on. And for a long time, it, it has been overwhelmingly Christians and secondarily Jews. And so I think one major problem that religion reporting has had more recently is in seeing these other religious communities as religious communities distinct from the ethnic groups with which they're associated. You're seeing we're not just reporting on Indian Canadians or Pakistani Canadians were reporting on Hindus and Sikhs who have this religious community um, and have this also this personal relationship with their spirituality, um, just like any other religious person would that needs to be reported on. And that seems to be a problem of who's doing the reporting, too, in terms of a lack of newsroom diversity or not having people from these communities in newsrooms necessarily. Oh, definitely. And I think this is probably the most pronounced of a problem when it comes to Islam, which has been probably the most scrutinized religious community over the past two decades. And the problem here is that it is kind of registered as a religion, not uh, more than Hinduism or Sikhism, but only within these very specific politicized contexts of kind of national security questions. What is Islam in its relationship to terrorism, in its relationship to violence. It's only with regard to those questions that we are interested in investigating the place of Islam in Canadian society. And this is a case where it becomes especially a problem that it becomes lumped in with questions of race. And Muslim communities become hard to distinguish from Arab communities or Turkish communities. And so while I think obviously journalists need to be getting into more closely the spiritual lives of all kinds of religious people and all kinds of religious communities, I think this is especially important when it comes to Muslims and Muslim communities to especially ask them the same kinds of questions about how they live their faith individually and as a group, just the same kind of questions you would ask any other religious person, and not just these very specific political, national security-based, and often racially-tinged questions. 
So we're talking about religion reporting, and you mentioned sort of changes in institutional religion and people maybe moving away from institutional religion. But do you have any information on how much of a role religion actually does play in the lives of Canadians? It's actually a lot more than you might think, but sometimes it's a matter of asking the right kinds of questions and, and what statistics you pick that might be the most indicative. The most obvious statistic to go for is in Canadian society is just who affiliates with a religion of some kind. And nationwide, although it varies greatly from place to place, nationwide it's still four in five people, um, however they choose to define that affiliation. What I think is a more interesting statistic came up in an Angus Reid survey in 2017. It was only about 2,000 people, but it was kind of a cross-section of region, of gender and age and things like that. And what I found striking about it, there's a question, um, basically, how much influence should religious communities have in Canadian public life today? And you had nationwide, one in 10 people saying a major influence, and about four in 10 people saying, well, some influence. And so that's, that's nearly one in two people who believe that there should be some kind of influence. So religion reporting might not play a big role in the mainstream press anymore, but there are still some religious or denominational news organizations in Canada, right? Yes, and I talked to several of them for my when I was putting together my article, and they've all responded to the changing landscape, both within and with and outside their denominations, in different ways. For example, I talked to Yoni Goldstein, who is the editor of the Canadian Jewish News, which I believe is Canada's last remaining national Jewish newspaper, and the way they've addressed it is by kind of taking as their mandate. Um, we want to represent Canadian Judaism and the Canadian Jewish community in all its diversity, all the different ways to be a religious Jew or a non-religious Jew. And so one way they have addressed that is by starting columns like Rabbi to Rabbi, where in every issue of the paper you have two rabbis from different denominations of Judaism having a back and forth about some kind of a religious question from their very different perspectives. Other examples might be the United Church Observer, which is still kind of a intra-denominational news magazine, like this is what's going on inside the church, but has also this huge array of feature pieces now on much broader issues of faith, of social justice, and of ethics. So does it seem like denominational news organizations are trying to become more than what they once were just to fill that void of generalized religion reporting? The ones that have managed to stay around, certainly. And you even have a couple of new ones. I talked to uh, Father Thomas Rosica, who's the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Network. And they were only founded in the mid-2000s. Um, and it had a lot to do with a particular group of donors who just really wanted to see a Catholic television network. And so they found someone, uh, Father Rosica, who they thought would do a good job of running it and said, here's some support, start this up. And um, they've got this very different kind of tack where it's almost an educational factor. It's like, here's 
um, what's going on in the world of Catholicism, not just like what are people doing in Rome, but like what are what are Catholics doing and um, what are they saying about their faith? And that has a kind of a two-pronged approach. On the other hand, it's like it, not, not being closed off, but like, hey world, this is all the stuff that's going on, but also trying to educate their own people and give them a better understanding of what their faith means and what's going on there. Okay, so you were saying that you started this project asking the question whether Canada is the same as the U.S. in terms of reporters not really getting religion and what it actually means to get religion in this day and age. I mean, do you, do you have any answers? Do you, do you know what it means to, quote-unquote, get religion? Honestly, I think I'm still trying to figure that out. But I think the, the best start we can get on really covering religion with understanding in the modern day is just to appreciate that fact that, for one thing, it is still very important to a great number of people, even if it's not discussed very openly, perhaps the way it used to be, but still to appreciate how those the same kinds of questions that the mainline churches used to answer, and still answer, but for a smaller number of people, people are still going out and asking those questions. They're going out and getting answers to those questions in a whole bunch of different and much more personal ways than they used to. And sometimes in they're finding answers in places that don't really register to Canadian society on a broader scale as religious. And of course, that there are a great number of people who either are just coming to Canada or are a smaller number of generations uh, removed from that who are bringing with them their own answers to these questions that we are only just hearing. So we just need to recognize all the different ways those fundamental questions are being answered now and the ways those questions and answers can come up in stories that we didn't expect them to come up in because of what a foundational role they play in motivating people's actions. Mm-hmm. So one journalist who is trying to dig into these questions is CBC's Mary Hines. She's the host of the CBC radio show Tapestry, which calls itself a show about spirituality and the search for meaning. And Jacob, you talked with Mary last week, right? Yes, I did. Well, let's play that now. Hi, Mary. Thanks so much for coming in today. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, Jacob. So tell me how you got into religion reporting. I was once asked whether it was a case of divine intervention because I'd worked in sports for so long. <laughs> I do see kind of parallels between being a sports reporter and covering things of, you know, ultimate importance, mm-hmm. but maybe that's just me and my sports uh, <laughs> fanaticism. Um, but just happenstance, I uh, I had left television. Television drove me a little bit insane. It wasn't a natural it. So the idea of this job opened up at CBC Radio, and I'd done uh, a sports show at CBC Radio in the past and uh, had done a lot of freelancing for them. So it was just a good timing, and, and I was available. Mm-hmm. Tapestry calls itself a show about spirituality and the search for meaning. Um, so could you tell me a bit about how Tapestry, like, how does this broader approach to the subject work for Tapestry? Yeah, it's... Um, it's it's interesting. It I think it makes the show rich. It also makes story meetings a little bit perhaps tougher mm. <laughs> because we we sit down and put our heads together and try to figure out, you know, like the mandate of the show is tapestry exists to investigate uh, 
what it means to be human. You know, we look at the messiness of our lives in all their complexity and absurdity. So things that, and we're journalists, we, mm-hmm. we're all trained as journalists, and you're sort of, you work a lot of your career uh, focusing on, you know, the who, what, where, when, why. And um, we have sometimes, among ourselves, said the tapestry maybe exists more along the WTF and the <laughs> spectrum. It's not who, what, where, when, why, mm-hmm. not the five W's, because some of it is just kind of inherently mind-blowing. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you ask um, smart, thoughtful people who've given this stuff a lot of thought, uh-huh. why do you think we're here? Then it kind you know, it's just mm-hmm. the nature of the questions can get you into some pretty... Um, an old producer of mine used to call it those drunken 3 a.m. dormitory <laughs> conversations you'd have at university, yeah. which was not a dig, mm-hmm. you know, because I think you may know mm-hmm. yourself. Well, yeah, they, they come, they, they, they happen for a reason. They come out of real questioning. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. How did you, or did you have to get comfortable talking about these kinds of questions? That's a good question, and I think I'm not there yet. Oh. And I've been doing this for, I've lost, I don't know how long I've been doing it, like I think 12 years or something, 11 years, 12 years, because I trained as a journalist. So sometimes it's hard to find words for the questions. Mm-hmm. You are trying to write a line of questioning that's going to elicit something comprehensible, mm-hmm. you know, not just kind of this vaporous, like, some you know the ineffable right (laughs) and then it's not only the radio program but there's the web copy so it's like Mm -hmm. you know sitting down and writing headlines for Mm -hmm. the ineffable and it's like okay so what is this episode actually about and um we sometimes joke that we should just do 52 minutes of silence on the radio (laughs) (laughs) when i was putting together this feature that i worked on that i that i talked to you for the whole topic was religion reporting in Canada, and the main thing is there isn't a lot of religion reporting in Canada. Why do you think that is? I think a few reasons. Part of it, what we've just touched on, the, the sort of elusive nature of the biggest questions. So on the one hand, there are people who say, this is the most important kind of question you can mm-hmm. be asking. I interviewed a probability theorist once who set out to determine the mathematical probability of the existence of God. Hmm. And he, the reason he did it was that he said he just not literally couldn't sleep at night, but he thought this is the most important question there is, and you cannot, if you're of a certain frame of mind, it won't leave you alone, hmm. and you you can't sit on the fence about it. And he came up with, I think, 97% in in the likelihood of 97% there is a God. Um, But I think some of it defies what we think of as news. There's a guy who's really good at this. His name's um, Douglas Todd, and he's been a religion writer for the Vancouver Sun for years. And Mm -hmm. the the beat has expanded now for him. He deals with immigration issues and the Vancouver housing market, Mm -hmm. you know, which I think touches on Mm -hmm. matters of spirituality and justice Uh and who gets to have a roof over their heads but he he wrote something once and I think this nailed it he said journalism really has a problem with these vaporous ideas Mm -hmm. that are at the heart of religion and reporters only really get into religion when something tangible happens so Mm -hmm. if if priests are a feeding the poor or b committing a crime Mm -hmm. which is not to be dismissive of the coverage of 
priests committing crimes because that was that was mm-hmm. an urgent matter for journalism. But it's a lot of it doesn't lend itself to breaking news. Um, you said you've been doing this for about twelve years now. Speaking overall, have you seen this whole religion beat change over the time you've been working on it? You know, it's interesting. The phrase "nun" hadn't been developed. Mm-hmm. When I started, and not none, N-U-N, but N-O-N-E, people who say they don't really adhere to any kind of organized religion. And the numbers are getting quite big. Mm -hmm. I know you sat in on the Paul Bramadat interview, and I think his stats for Cascadia, his region Mm -hmm. of the Pacific Northwest, he cites a figure of something like 70% of people referring to themselves as being unspiritual but not religious. And I don't think that was even... I don't think that was even a thing when I started. And now it's, um, we do a lot of stories on where people find meaning Mm -hmm. and how they find meaning if if organized religion and church or shul or temple or mosque aren't really calling to them anymore. Mm -hmm. Another development, this was all of these um, beautifully researched, Mm -hmm. richly written obituaries for the preacher Billy Graham. And someone pointed out on Twitter These obits would have been, as we do in the business, Mm -hmm. they would have been researched and written years ago uh, with a view to pulling them out when the person dies. Mm -hmm. And so many of the journalists who would have written the Billy Graham profile for their respective newspapers, they don't have jobs. You know, they've been laid off. The beats have folded. um, And so it was just, it was, uh, that hadn't occurred to me. It was really striking to see that pointed out mm-hmm. um, you know just this these reams of copy on Billy Graham with this depth of knowledge and he ministered to and counseled so many generations of US presidents mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. queen at one point and that and that that the depth of that knowledge and you know sort of institutional wisdom being able to to call on okay what did Billy Graham mean to the world of religion and spirituality and history for mm-hmm. so many years yeah. so what happens to that when these you know religion beat writers just find that their section has folded or even the page you know it used to be down to a page that doesn't even exist in a lot of places so would you say that the main problem with the beat has been trying to cope with the shift from the predominance of institutional religion to maybe this much more individualized spirituality? Yeah, I don't see it as a problem. I, I mm-hmm. see it as something that's shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a problem insofar as like there's a difficulty in keeping up with the shift. Yes. There's a, a prof at the University of Ottawa who does a lot of research into this phenomenon of the nuns. Mm-hmm. And she said part of the challenge is where do you find them? Yeah. Because when we were when we were doing research into organized religion, well, you could go to church or you mm. could go to, you know, the women's church committee or you could go to whatever. And nuns by definition aren't hanging out yeah. in any of the mm-hmm. um, expected places. You know, so I think I think that shift has made it probably more challenging because it's a it's a bit and it has that intangibility built into it because when someone says i'm spiritual but i'm not religious that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people Mm -hmm. you know it's it's if you say i'm a cradle catholic you know what that is so if the trend then is to increasing maybe personalization or individualization of your practice um one one thing i found uh one thing that i talked to a lot of people about when i put this article together was the extent to which this is also kind of true in quote-unquote organized religion 
I was uh, talking to a professor. His focus is uh, Chinese-Canadian Protestantism. And he would, he would talk to these people from these very conservative evangelical congregations in the Vancouver area, focusing, say, on the issue of marriage. You know, they're very strong views about um, marriages between a man and a woman. And so he would say, okay, so how did you come to feel strongly about this? Was it like uh, in Bible study this came up, or maybe your pastor was preaching about it? But the response he would get a lot is, we saw such and such a thing on the news, and we got concerned. And so we pressured our pastor to start talking more about it this way. Um, wow. This idea that even in these religions, it's still like, here's me with my faith. And like, I have a relationship with this institution. But to a certain extent, it's a relationship where I make use of the institution for things. And so, so they had some agency in what the religion ended up mm-hmm. sounding like. And so um, wow, that's the question. Interesting, I, eh? Yeah, yeah. And so the question I want to ask you is: so when it comes to these more institutional or organized or whatever we want to call it, religious traditions, as reporters, how do we get in there and find these individual stories? That challenge exists in a lot of pockets of journalism, not not just religion slash spirituality slash philosophy. Um, one thing we've always found quite helpful. And I found this, I was at the Globe and Mail years ago, and I found this helpful uh, then as well. It's It often seems to happen that one story will lead to another story. So if you're out in the field, you're meeting people, you're talking to people, and something is said, just an offhand remark. What almost never happens happened last week in this past Sunday's <laughs> show. A guy wrote to the show. You know, we, we, we always like to answer listener mail mm-hmm. um, and he wrote we had uh, had a woman on who practices um, earth-based religion oh. and Wicca and mm-hmm. he wrote and I thought it was going to be part of that segment of mail that said oh, my tax dollars going for mm-hmm. this this is not real this is not legitimate mm-hmm. and um, it started out yes I, I I actually pray among the trees I do a full moon ceremony uh, I am a member of the Order of Druids. I practice a very earth-based spirituality. And I thought, okay, well, interesting. You know, here's a guy who's not into conventional religion in any sense. <laughs> and the next sentence is, and I am an ordained minister in the Anglican Church of oh. Canada. Oh, which, there's... <laughs> which was cool for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. Like the way it kind of makes you think, okay, I know nothing. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I was ready to tap typecast this guy as a certain kind of, you know, on the on the fringes of what would be uh, considered a a, wouldn't even be considered on the main on the fringes of mainstream, you know, would be considered out out, out there. there, And but no, he Mm -hmm. he is. um, He's an ordained minister. His Anglican faith is really important to him. His earth based spirituality is really important to him. So Mm -hmm. we had him on and it was just so interesting. And I think that conversation could end up sending us in a few different directions as well to look at different things. Mm -hmm. Let's say we need to convince a print editor right now that they need not maybe not necessarily a dedicated religion section, but they need to put more of their limited resources in some way into telling religion stories. You've cornered them in the hallway for five minutes. How do you convince them that this is still relevant? There's a possibility this is more relevant than anything else. (laughs) And I say that as someone who wants to see what the Yankees are doing or what the Montreal Canadiens are doing. Like, that's, that is survival. In radio, we call it survival information. You know, what's the weather? What's the traffic? Well, to me, the Yankees box score is survival information. But I would say to ask 
the big questions, there may be no more important thing on someone's mind. I think it's a dimension of human experience, of being human, that really gets short shrift. And I think that's, that is doing a disservice to your readers, your listeners, your viewers. A, a former colleague of mine at CBC Radio, Kevin Sylvester, used to say he would guest host on Tapestry sometimes. And he'd say, this is the show where you get to think about all those things you were too busy to think about during the week. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, as the world becomes faster and, and time for contemplation maybe disappears, it's a really, it's just this vital dimension of human experience that, okay, may, maybe it defies being put into a punchy headline, but that doesn't mean it's not worth trying. Mm-hmm. And it's like our buddy, the probability theorist, said, you know, these are questions that just don't leave you alone. And it's really important to try to make sense of some of it mm-hmm. and, and what you believe and why you think you're here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty bedrock stuff, I think. Changing gears a bit. I talked to someone who, uh, who, who reports on Islam in Canada and Islamophobia in Canada and who is himself a Muslim. His name is Stephen Joe. And he, he said something very interesting in his interview. Um, when he, he was talking about how to how to cover Islam fairly when it's this community which is under so much scrutiny by the broader society. One thing he said that you have to do in order to cover Islam fairly is when it comes down to these these theological questions about what is Islam, journalists have to be willing to actually make that statement. Like to say, when the question comes up, uh, does Islam support the killing of innocent people? The journalist has to be able to step in and say, a thousand years of Islamic thinkers and uh, theological tradition completely disallow the killing of innocents. Osama bin Laden is a former accountant with no theological training. The journalist has to say tradition sides with this and not with this. And so I wanted to ask you, like Islam is kind of perhaps one of the easier examples to give of this when it's under such scrutiny about people wanting to know what is it what does it stand for but more broadly like as journalists how do we know when to step in and make that kind of editorial comment on our subjects you'd have to you'd have to determine where what part of that is editorial comment and what part of that is helpful context yeah yeah and i so i think with the example you're giving it is helpful context to say 1000 years of the, the theology and the religious teaching in this faith says, no, it, that's, it's an abomination mm-hmm. to kill. Another aspect of this, though, and this, is, this was a bit unexpected to me, we interviewed um, a Muslim chaplain, an imam who's a chaplain, I think, at Duke University a few years ago, mm. and the topic was stressed out university students mm. and what can, um, you know, what does religion have to offer them? What does the contemplative uh, break have to offer them? And when it was done, it was just a really lively, friendly conversation. And he said, thank you for not asking me about violence. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it, and that was, a, that was instructive for us at the program, too. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just be going to imams to ask about violence. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a, there is a larger context there. And there is a picture where this is someone who is a chaplain at a university giving counsel to students who are really, really, really stressed out, as you may know mm-hmm. from personal mm-hmm. experience. And it's it's important for that side of his ministering to people. It's important 
for that to be woven into, mm-hmm. okay, what, what is his religion? What does he stand for? What's his faith? Okay. Maybe to give a bit of a harder example if, in terms of like, um, do we say where the tradition is? If you're doing a, a podcast or an article and you're talking about people who want uh, the Catholic Church to ordain women, how much space do you give to the arguments for a male-only priesthood? Like, a, more of a personal decision. Like, how much space do you give to that? Something that was um, helpful to me was, and I think this must have come from Richard Handler, who was one of the founding producers of Tapestry, is, you know, imagine how this sounds to someone who is on the completely different end of the spectrum to that of your guest. So we had um, Matthew Fox on, Uh creation spirituality, quite a radical priest and minister. And Richard wanted to be sure that the line of questioning would represent a very conservative, perhaps grandmother sitting at home mm-hmm. who, you know, all this all this talk about a cosmic mass and yeah, yeah. a mass should be more like a rave. And it's like, what the hell are they talking about? Mm-hmm. And so Richard said, you know, put that question to Matthew Fox. Um, it wasn't the ordination of women, but it was, uh, it was gay marriage mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. or gay love, gay relationships. The, so the question then, the question we worked on and ended up being in its finished form, how do you speak to someone who is 80 years old and whose tradition has been a real rock mm-hmm. for them? Mm-hmm. And part of the reason it has sustained them is that it is unchanging. Yeah, yeah. And they feel like the rug's being pulled out uh-huh. from under their feet. That's not a comfortable no, feeling no, if yeah. you've grown up in a faith. And, um, and Matthew Fox said, well, how do you do it? Well, you introduce them to some gay people. Uh, to him, it didn't seem like a, a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like an insurmountable challenge. It was we recognize the humanity in one another and we meet one another and we talk and we go from there. So I think mm-hmm. in terms of the, the ordination of women, it would be important that my views do not appear mm-hmm. in it for the most part and that we're mindful of the fact that the reason the Catholic Church has been nourishing and sustaining to some of its um, believers is is that it's this rock, mm-hmm. and it is unchanging, and that it's not going to shift with um, the thinking of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we, a lot of people listening might find that challenging, and they might think everything has to shift with mm-hmm. the thinking uh-huh. of the times. And I get that, too. Mm-hmm. It's tough, eh? Religion journalism is, I think, definitely one of those beats where uh, everyone is coming from somewhere. No one is really completely unaffiliated. Even no belief in in the terms of religion is a belief. Like, so, how do your beliefs influence the work you do at Tapestry? Mm. In terms of where I am, I I like to be careful with it because uh-huh. I think. As a journalist, you you don't want to be, you know, wearing everything on your sleeve. The one thing I will say, I remember interviewing someone. We did a show on, uh, it was called Back to the Garden. It was about, uh, it was about gardening and spirituality. Mm. It was years ago. I just loved it. It was a two-parter. And this woman talked about, you know, digging in the soil and feeling the soil. And Marjorie Harris, the gardening writer, said, when I look into the face of a flower, that to me is like looking into the face of God. And people were so, um, I don't want to say down to earth, but it it was so palpable Mm -hmm. to them. And I remember feeling kind of envious because whatever, whatever my beliefs are or aren't or how they've evolved, um, 
that kind of, it, it, it seemed very available to a lot mm. of people in a very tangible, real way. And I think I felt envious of that because it's, it's harder work for me. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for coming in today. Oh, uh, thank you for all the work you've put into this. I really appreciate it. That was Jacob's conversation with Mary Hines, host of CBC Radio's Tapestry. All right, well, that's our show for this week. You can read Jacob's feature on religion reporting in Canada in the upcoming issue of the Ryerson Review of Journalism, which will be on newsstands soon. In the meantime, check out rrj.ca for more stories about journalism and media. And please follow us on Twitter at fullquotesrrj or email fullquotes at ryerson.ca. Full Quotes is written and produced by Laura Howells, Emily Pardo, and myself, Jacob McNair. Executive producers are Sonia Fata and Stephen Trumper, and thanks as always to Angela Glover for all her technical assistance. Thanks for listening. See you next week.